Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Part 5 of Lincoln's Yarns and Stories by Alexander K. McClure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 5. McClellan was entrenching. About a week after the Chicago convention, a gentleman from New York called upon the president in company with the assistant secretary of war mr dana in the course of conversation the gentleman said what do you think mr president is the reason general mcclellan does not reply to the letter from the chicago convention oh replied mr lincoln with a characteristic twinkle of the eye he is entrenching make something out of it anyway from the day of his nomination by the Chicago Convention, gifts poured in upon Lincoln. Many of these came in the form of wearing apparel. Mr. George Lincoln of Brooklyn, who brought to Springfield in January 1861 a handsome silk hat to the president-elect, the gift of a New York hatter, told some friends that in receiving the hat, Lincoln laughed heartily over the gifts of clothing and remarked to Mrs. Lincoln, well wife if nothing else comes out of this scrape we are going to have some new clothes are we not vicious oxen have short horns in speaking of the many mean and petty acts of certain members of congress the president while talking on the subject one day with friends said i have great sympathy for these men because of their temper and their weakness but i am thankful that the good lord has given to the vicious ox short horns for if their physical courage were equal to their vicious disposition some of us in this neck of the woods would get hurt lincoln's name for weeping water i was speaking one time to mr lincoln said governor saunders of nebraska of a little nebraskan settlement on the weeping water a stream in our state weeping water said he then with a twinkle in his eye he continued i suppose the indians out there called many boohoo don't they they ought to if laughing water is many ha ha in their language peter cartwright's description of lincoln peter cartwright the famous and eccentric old methodist preacher who used to ride a church circuit as mr lincoln and others did the court circuit did not like lincoln very well probably because mr lincoln was not a member of his flock and once defeated the preacher for congress this was cartwright's description of lincoln this lincoln is a man six feet four inches tall but so angular that if you should drop a plummet from the center of his head it will cut him three times before it touched his feet no deaths in his house a gentleman was relating to the president how a friend of his had been driven away from new orleans as a unionist and how, on his expulsion, when he asked to see the writ by which he was expelled, the deputation which called on him told him the government would do nothing illegal, and so they had issued no illegal writs, and simply meant to make him go of his own free will. 
well said mr lincoln that reminds me of a hotel keeper down at st louis who boasted that he never had a death in his hotel for whenever a guest was dying in his house he carried him out to die in the gutter painted his principles the day following the adjournment of the baltimore convention at which president lincoln was renominated various political organizations called to pay their respects to the president while the philadelphia delegation was being presented the chairman of that body in introducing one of the members said mr president this is mr s of the second district of our state a most active and earnest friend of yours and the cause he has among other things been good enough to paint and present to our league rooms a most beautiful portrait of yourself president lincoln took the gentleman's hand in his and shaking it cordially said with a merry voice i presume sir in painting your beautiful portrait you took your idea of me from my principles and not from my person dignifying the statute lincoln was married he balked at the first date set for the ceremony and did not show up at all november fourth eighteen forty two under most happy auspices the officiating clergyman the reverend mr dresser used the episcopal church service for marriage lincoln placed the ring upon the bride's finger and said with this ring i now thee wed and with all my worldly goods i thee endow judge thomas c brown who was present exclaimed good gracious lincoln the statute fixes all that ah oh, well drawled lincoln i just thought i'd add a little dignity to the statute lincoln campaign mottoes the joint debates between lincoln and douglas were attended by crowds of people and the arrival of both at the places of speaking were in the nature of a triumphal procession in these processions there were many banners bearing catchphrases and mottoes expressing the sentiment of the people on the candidates and the issues the following were some of the mottoes on the lincoln banners westward the star of empire takes its way the girls link on to lincoln their mothers were for clay abe the giant killer edgar county for the tall sucker free territories and free men free pulpits and free preachers free press and a free pen free schools and free teachers giving away the case between the first election and inauguration of mr lincoln the disunion sentiment grew rapidly in the south and president buchanan's failure to stop the open acts of secession grieved mr lincoln sorely mr lincoln had a long talk with his friend judge gillespie over the state of affairs one incident of the conversation is thus narrated by the judge when i retired it was the master of the house and chosen ruler of the country who saw me to my room joe he said as he was about to leave me i am reminded and i suppose you will never forget that trial down in montgomery county where the lawyer associated with you gave away the whole case in his opening speech i saw you signaling to him but you couldn't stop him now that's just the way with me and buchanan he is giving away the case and i have nothing to say and can't stop him good night posing with a broomstick 
mr leonard folk the artist relates that being in springfield when lincoln's nomination for president was announced he called upon mr lincoln whom he found looking smiling and happy i exclaimed i am the first man from chicago i believe who has had the honor of congratulating you on your nomination for president then those two great hands took both of mine with a grasp never to be forgotten and while shaking i said now that you will doubtless be the next president of the united states i want to make a statue of you and shall try my best to do you justice said he oh, i don't doubt it for i have come to the conclusion that you are an honest man and with that greeting i thought my hands in a fair way of being crushed on the sunday following by agreement i called to make a cast of mr lincoln's hands i asked him to hold something in his hands and told him a stick would do thereupon he went to the woodshed and i heard the saw go and he soon returned to the dining-room whittling off the end of a piece of broom handle i remarked to him that he need not whittle off the edges oh well said he i thought i would like to have it nice both length and breadth during lincoln's first and only term in congress he was elected in eighteen forty six he formed quite a cordial friendship with stephen a douglas a member of the united states senate from illinois and the beaten one in the contest as to who should secure the hand of miss mary todd lincoln was the winner douglas afterwards beat him for the united states senate but lincoln went to the white house during all of the time that they were rivals in love and in politics they remained the best of friends personally they were always glad to see each other and were frequently together the disparity in their size was always the more noticeable upon such occasions and they well deserved their nicknames of long abe and the little giant lincoln was the tallest man in the national house of representatives and douglas the shortest and perhaps broadest man in the senate and when they appeared on the streets together much merriment was created lincoln when joking about the matter replied in a very serious tone yes that's about the length and breadth of it abe recites a song lincoln couldn't sing and he also lacked the faculty of musical adaptation he had a liking for certain ballads and songs and while he memorized and recited their lines someone else did the singing lincoln often recited for the delectation of his friends the following the authorship of which is unknown the first factional fight in old ireland they say was all on account of st patrick's birthday it was somewhere about midnight without any doubt and certain it is it made a great rout on the eighth day of march as some people say st patrick at midnight he first saw the day while others assert twas the ninth he was born twas all a mistake between midnight and morn some blamed the baby some blamed the clock some blamed the doctor some the crowing cock with all those close questions sure no one could know whether the babe was too fast or the clock was too slow some fought for the eighth for the ninth some would die he who wouldn't see right would have a black eye at length these two factions so positive grew they each had a birthday and pad he had too till father mulcahy who showed them their sins 
he said none could have two birthdays but as twins now boys don't be fighting for the eight or the nine don't quarrel so always now why not combine combine eight with nine it is the mark let that be the birthday amen said the clerk so all got blind drunk which completed their bliss and they've kept up the practice from that day to this manage to keep house senator john sherman of ohio introduced his brother william t sherman then a civilian to president lincoln in march eighteen sixty one sherman had offered his services but as in the case of grant they had been refused after the senator had transacted his business with the president he said mr president this is my brother colonel sherman who is just up from louisiana he may give you some information you want to this lincoln replied as reported by senator sherman himself ah how are they getting along down there sherman answered they think they are getting along swimmingly they are prepared for war to which lincoln responded oh well i guess we'll manage to keep the house Tecumpe, whose temper was not the mildest broke out on brother john as soon as they were out of the white house cursed the politicians roundly and wound up with you have got things in a hell of a fix and you may get out as best you can sherman was one of the very few generals who gave lincoln little or no worry grant tumbled right away general grant told this story about lincoln some years after the war just after receiving my commission as lieutenant general the president called me aside to speak to me privately after a brief reference to the military situation he said he thought he could illustrate what he wanted to say by a story said he at one time there was a great war among the animals and one side had great difficulty in getting a commander who had sufficient confidence in himself finally they found a monkey by the name of jocko who said he thought he could command their army if his tail could be made a little longer so they got more tail and spliced it onto his caudal appendage he looked at it admiringly and then said he thought he ought to have still more tail this was added and again he called for more the splicing process was repeated many times until they had coiled jocko's tail around the room filling all the space still he called for more tail and there being no more place to coil it they began wrapping it around his shoulders he continued his call for more and they kept on winding the additional tail around him until its wake broke him down i saw the point and rising from my chair replied mr president i will not call for any more assistance unless i find it impossible to do with what i have already don't kill him with your fist ward lehman marshal of the district of columbia during lincoln's time in washington was a powerful man his strength was phenomenal and a blow from his fist was like unto that coming from the business end of a sledge Layman tells the story the hero of which is not mentioned by name but in all probability his identity can be guessed on one occasion when the fears of the loyal element of the city washington were excited to fever heat a free fight near the old national theater occurred about eleven o'clock one night an officer in passing the place observed what was going on and seeing the great number of persons engaged he felt it to be his duty to command the peace 
the imperative tone of his voice stopped the fighting for a moment but the leader a great bully roughly pushed back the officer and told him to go away or he would whip him the officer again advanced and said i arrest you attempting to place his hand on the man's shoulder when the bully struck a fearful blow at the officer's face this was parried and instantly followed by a blow from the fist of the officer striking the fellow under the chin and knocking him senseless blood issued from his mouth nose and ears it was believed that the man's neck was broken a surgeon was called who pronounced the case a critical one and the wounded man was hurried away on a litter to the hospital there the physician said there was concussion of the brain and that the man would die all the medical skill that the officer could procure was employed in the hope of saving the life of the man his conscience smote him for having as he believed taken the life of a fellow-creature and he was inconsolable being on terms of intimacy with the president about two o'clock that night the officer went to the white house woke up mr lincoln and requested him to come into his office where he told him his story mr lincoln listened with great interest until the narrative was completed and then asked a few questions after which he remarked i am sorry you had to kill the man but these are times of war and a great many men deserve killing this one according to your story is one of them so give yourself no uneasiness about the matter i will stand by you that is not why i came to you i knew i did my duty and had no fears of your disapproval of what i did replied the officer and then he added why i came to you was i felt great grief over the unfortunate affair and i wanted to talk to you about it mr lincoln then said with a smile placing his hand on the officer's shoulder you go home now and get some sleep but let me give you this piece of advice hereafter when you have occasion to strike a man don't hit him with your fist strike him with a club a crowbar or with something that won't kill him could be arbitrary lincoln could be arbitrary when occasion required this is the letter he wrote to one of the department heads you must make a job of it and provide a place for the bearer of this elias wampole make a job of it with the collector and have it done you can do it for me and you must there was no delay in taking action in this matter mr wampole or eli as he was hereafter known got there a general bustification many amusing stories are told of president lincoln and his gloves at about the time of his third reception he had on a tight-fitting pair of white kids which he had with difficulty got on he saw approaching in the distance an old illinois friend named simpson whom he welcomed with a genuine sangamon county illinois shake which resulted in bursting his white kid glove with an audible sound then raising his brawny hand up before him looking at it with an indescribable expression he said while the whole procession was checked witnessing this scene well my old friend this is a general bustification you and i were never intended to wear these things if they were stronger they might do well enough to keep out the cold but they are a failure to shake hands with between old friends like us stand aside captain and i'll see you shortly simpson stood aside 
and after the unwelcome ceremony was terminated he rejoined his old illinois friend in familiar intercourse making quartermasters h c whitney wrote in eighteen sixty six i was in washington in the indian service for a few days before august eighteen sixty one and i merely said to president lincoln one day everything is drifting into the war and i guess you will have to put me in the army the president looked up from his work and said good-humoredly i'm making generals now in a few days i will be making quartermasters and then i'll fix you no postmasters in his pocket in the diary of a public man appears this jocose anecdote mr lincoln walked into the corridor with us and as he bade us good-bye and thanked blank for what he had told him he again brightened up for a moment and asked him in an abrupt kind of way laying his hands as he spoke with a queer but not uncivil familiarity on his shoulder you haven't such a thing as a postmaster in your pocket have you blank stared at him in astonishment and i thought a little in alarm as if he suspected a sudden attack of insanity then mr lincoln went on you see it seems to me kind of unnatural that you shouldn't have at least a postmaster in your pocket everybody i've seen for days past has had foreign ministers and collectors and all kinds and i thought you couldn't have got in here without having at least a postmaster get into your pocket he skewed the line when a surveyor mr lincoln first platted the town of petersburg illinois some twenty or thirty years afterward the property owners along one of the outlying streets had trouble in fixing their boundaries they consulted the official plat and got no relief a committee was sent to springfield to consult the distinguished surveyor but he failed to recall anything that would give them aid and could only refer them to the record the dispute therefore went into the courts while the trial was pending an old irishman named mcguire who had worked for some farmer during the summer returned to town for the winter the case being mentioned in his presence he promptly said i can tell you all about it i helped carry the chain when abe lincoln laid out this town over there where they are quarreling about the lines when he was locating the street he straightened up from his instrument and said if i run that street right through it will cut three or four feet off the end of blank's house it's all he's got in the world and he never could get another i reckon it won't hurt anything out here if i skew the line a little and miss him the line was skewed and hence the trouble and more testimony furnished as to lincoln's abounding kindness of heart that would not willingly harm any human being whereas he stole nothing one of the most celebrated courts martial during the war was that of franklin w smith and his brother charged with defrauding the government these men bore a high character for integrity at this time however courts martial were seldom invoked for any other purpose than to convict the accused and the smiths shared the usual fate of persons whose cases were submitted to such arbitrament they were kept in prison their papers seized their business destroyed and their reputations ruined all of which was followed by a conviction the finding of the court was submitted to the president who after a careful investigation disapproved the judgment and wrote the following endorsement upon the papers 
whereas franklin w smith had transactions with the navy department to the amount of a million and a quarter of dollars and whereas he had a chance to steal at least a quarter of a million and was only charged with stealing twenty two hundred dollars and the question now is about his stealing one hundred i don't believe he stole anything at all therefore the record and the findings are disapproved declared null and void and the defendants are fully discharged not like the pope's bull president lincoln after listening to the arguments and appeals of a committee which called upon him at the white house not long before the emancipation proclamation was issued said i do not want to issue a document that the whole world will see must necessarily be inoperative like the pope's bull against the comet could he tell a high private of the one hundred and fortieth infantry regiment pennsylvania volunteers wounded at chancellorsville was taken to washington one day as he was becoming convalescent a whisper ran down the long row of cots that the president was in the building and would soon pass by instantly every boy in blue who was able arose and stood erect hands to the side ready to salute his commander-in-chief the pennsylvanian stood six feet seven inches in his stockings lincoln was six feet four as the president approached this giant towering above him he stopped in amazement and casting his eyes from head to foot and from foot to head as if contemplating the immense distance from one extremity to the other he stood for a moment speechless at length extending his hand he exclaimed hello comrade do you know when your feet get cold darned uncomfortable sitting frank leslie's illustrated newspaper of march second eighteen sixty one two days previous to the inauguration of president-elect lincoln contained the caricature reproduced here it was intended to convey the idea that the national administration would thereafter depend upon the support of bayonets to uphold it and the text underneath the picture ran as follows old abe oh it's all well enough to say that i must support the dignity of my high office by force but it's darned uncomfortable sitting i can tell you this journal was not entirely friendly to the new chief magistrate but it could not see into the future many of the leading publications of the east among them some of those which condemned slavery and were opposed to secession did not believe lincoln was the man for the emergency but instead of doing what they could do to help him along they attacked him most viciously no man save washington was more brutally lied about than lincoln but he bore all the slurs and thrusts not to mention the open cruel antagonism of those who should have been his warmest friends with a fortitude and patience few men have ever shown he was on the right road and awaited the time when his course should receive the approval it merited what's his name got there general james b fry told a good one on secretary of war stanton who was worsted in a contention with the president several brigadier generals were to be selected and lincoln maintained that something must be done in the interest of the dutch many complaints had come from prominent men born in the fatherland but who were fighting for the union now i want schimpelfennig given one of these brigadierships 
stanton was stubborn and headstrong as usual but his manner and tone indicated that the president would have his own way in the end however he was not to be beaten without having made a fight but mr president insisted the iron war secretary it may be that this mr Shim, Shim what's his name has no recommendations showing his fitness perhaps he can't speak english oh, that doesn't matter a bit stanton retorted lincoln he may be deaf and dumb for all i know but whatever language he speaks if any we can furnish troops who will understand what he says that name of his will make up for any differences in religion politics or understanding and i'll take the risk of his coming out all right then slamming his great hand upon the secretary's desk he said shemelfenig must be appointed and he was there and then end of part five Part six of Lincoln's Yarns and Stories by Alexander K. McClure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part six. A really great general. Do you know General A? queried the president one day to a friend who had dropped in at the White House. Certainly, but you are not wasting any time thinking about him, are you? was the rejoinder. Oh, you wrong him, responded the president he is a really great man a philosopher how do you make that out he isn't worth the powder and ball necessary to kill him so i've heard the military men say the friend remarked he is a mighty thinker the president returned because he has mastered that ancient and wise admonition know thyself he has formed an intimate acquaintance with himself knows as well for what he is fitted and unfitted as any man living without doubt he is a remarkable man this war has not produced anything like him how is it you are so highly pleased with general a all at once for the reason replied mr lincoln with a merry twinkle of the eye greatly to my relief and to the interests of the country he has resigned the country should express its gratitude in some substantial way shrunk up north there was no member of the cabinet from the south when attorney general bates handed in his resignation and president lincoln had a great deal of trouble in making a selection finally titian f coffee consented to fill the vacant place for a time and did so until the appointment of mr speed in conversation with mr coffee the president quaintly remarked my cabinet has shrunk up north and i must find a southern man i suppose if the twelve apostles were to be chosen nowadays the shrieks of locality would have to be heeded lincoln adopted the suggestion it is not generally known that president lincoln adopted a suggestion made by secretary of the treasury salmon p chase in regard to the emancipation proclamation and incorporated it in that famous document after the president had read it to the members of the cabinet he asked if he had omitted anything which should be added or inserted to strengthen it it will be remembered that the closing paragraph of the proclamation reads in this way and upon this act sincerely believed to be an act of justice warranted by the constitution i invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of almighty god 
president lincoln's draft of the paper ended with the word mankind and the words and the gracious favor of almighty god were those suggested by secretary chase something for everyone it was the president's overweening desire to accommodate all persons who came to him soliciting favors but the opportunity was never offered until an untimely and unthinking disease which possessed many of the characteristics of one of the most dreaded maladies confined him to his bed at the white house the rumor spread that the president was afflicted with this disease while the truth was that it was merely a very mild attack of varioloid the office seekers didn't know the facts and for once the executive mansion was clear of them one day a man from the west who didn't read the papers but wanted the post office in his town called at the white house the president being then practically a well man saw him the caller was engaged in a voluble endeavor to put his capabilities in the most favorable light when the president interrupted him with the remark that he would be compelled to make the interview short as his doctor was due why mr president are you sick queried the visitor oh nothing much replied mr lincoln but the physician says he fears the worst what worst may i ask smallpox was the answer but you needn't be scared i'm only in the first stages now the visitor grabbed his hat sprang from his chair and without a word bolted for the door don't be in a hurry said the president placidly sit down and talk a while thank you sir i'll call again shouted the westerner as he disappeared through the opening in the wall now that's the way with people the president said when relating the story afterward when i can't give them what they want they're dissatisfied and say harsh things about me but when i've something to give to everybody they scamper off too many pigs for the teats an applicant for a sutlership in the army relates this story in the winter of eighteen sixty four after serving three years in the union army and being honorably discharged i made application for the post sutlership at point lookout my father being interested we made application to mr stanton the secretary of war we obtained an audience and were ushered into the presence of the most pompous man i ever met as i entered he waved his hand for me to stop at a given distance from him and then put these questions viz did you serve three years in the army i did sir were you honorably discharged i was sir let me see your discharge i gave it to him he looked it over and then said were you ever wounded i told him yes at the battle of williamsburg may five eighteen sixty one he then said i think we can give this position to a soldier who has lost an arm or leg he being more deserving and he then said i looked hardy and healthy enough to serve three years more he would not give me a chance to argue my case the audience was at an end he waved his hand to me i was then dismissed from the august presence of the honorable secretary of war my father was waiting for me in the hallway who saw by my countenance that i was not successful i said to my father let us go over to mr lincoln he may give us more satisfaction he said it would do me no good but we went over mr lincoln's reception room was full of ladies and gentlemen when we entered my turn soon came lincoln turned to my father and said 
now gentlemen be pleased to be as quick as possible with your business as it is growing late my father then stepped up to lincoln and introduced me to him lincoln then said take a seat gentlemen and state your business as quickly as possible there was but one chair by lincoln so he motioned my father to sit while i stood my father stated the business to him as stated above he then said have you seen mr stanton we told him yes and that he had refused he uh, mr lincoln then said gentlemen this is mr stanton's business i cannot interfere with him he attends to all these matters and i am sorry i cannot help you he saw that we were disappointed and did his best to revive our spirits he succeeded well with my father who was a lincoln man and who was a staunch republican mr lincoln then said now gentlemen i will tell you what it is i have thousands of applications like this every day but we cannot satisfy all for this reason that these positions are like office seekers there are too many pigs for the teats the ladies who were listening to the conversation placed their handkerchiefs to their faces and turned away but the joke of old abe put us all in a good humor we then left the presence of the greatest and most just man who ever lived to fill the presidential chair greeley carries lincoln to the lunatic asylum no sooner was abraham lincoln made the candidate for the presidency of the republican party in eighteen sixty than the opposition began to lampoon and caricature him in the cartoon here reproduced which is given the title of the republican party going to the right house lincoln is represented as entering the lunatic asylum riding on a rail carried by horace greeley the great abolitionist lincoln followed by his fellow cranks is assuring the latter that the millennium is going to begin and that all requests will be granted lincoln's followers are depicted as those men and women composing the free love element those who want religion abolished negroes who wanted understood that the white man has no rights his black brother is bound to respect women suffragists who demand that men be made subject to female authority tramps who insist upon free lodging houses criminals who demand the right to steal from all they meet and toughs who want the police forces abolished so that the boys can run with the machine and have a muss whenever they feel like it without interference by the authorities the last time he saw douglas speaking of his last meeting with judge douglas mr lincoln said one day douglas came rushing in and said he had just got a telegraph dispatch from some friends in illinois urging him to come out and help set things right in egypt and that he would go or stay in washington just where i thought he could do the most good i told him to do as he chose but that probably he could do best in illinois upon that he shook hands with me and hurried away to catch the next train i never saw him again hurt his legs less lincoln was one of the attorneys in a case of considerable importance court being held in a very small and dilapidated schoolhouse out in the country lincoln was compelled to stoop very much in order to enter the door and the seats were so low that he doubled up his legs like a jackknife lincoln was obliged to sit upon a school bench 
and just in front of him was another making the distance between him and the seat in front of him very narrow and uncomfortable his position was almost unbearable and in order to carry out his preference which he secured as often as possible and that was to sit as near to the jury as convenient he took advantage of his discomfort and finally said to the judge on the bench your honor with your permission i'll sit up nearer to the gentlemen of the jury for it hurts my legs less to rub my calves against the bench than it does to skin my shins a little shy or grammar when mr lincoln had prepared his brief letter accepting the presidential nomination he took it to dr newton bateman the state superintendent of education mr schoolmaster he said here is my letter of acceptance i am not very strong on grammar and i wish you to see if it is all right i wouldn't like to have any mistakes in it the doctor took the letter and after reading it said there is only one change i would suggest mr lincoln you have written it shall be my care to not violate or disregard it in any part you should have written not to violate never split an infinitive is the rule mr lincoln took the manuscript regarding it a moment with a puzzled air so you think i better put those two little fellows end to end do you he said as he made the change his first satirical writing reuben and charles grigsby were married in spencer county indiana on the same day to elizabeth ray and matilda hawkins respectively they met the next day at the home of reuben grigsby senior and held a double infare to which most of the county was invited with the exception of the lincolns this abraham duly resented and it resulted in his first attempt at satirical writing which he called the chronicles of reuben the manuscript was lost and not recovered until eighteen sixty five when a house belonging to one of the grigsby's was torn down in the loft a boy found a roll of musty old papers and was intently reading them when he was asked what he was doing reading a portion of the scriptures that haven't been revealed yet was the response this was lincoln's chronicles which is herewith given the chronicles of reuben now there was a man whose name was reuben and the same was very great in substance in horses and cattle and swine and a very great household it came to pass when the sons of reuben grew up that they were desirous of taking to themselves wives and being too well known as to honor in their own country they took a journey into a far country and there procured for themselves wives it came to pass also that when they were about to make the return home they sent a messenger before them to bear the tidings to their parents these inquiring of the messenger what time their sons and wives would come made a great feast and called all their kinsmen and neighbors in and made great preparation when the time drew nigh they sent out two men to meet the grooms and their brides with a trumpet to welcome them and to accompany them when they came near into the house of reuben the father the messenger came before them and gave a shout and the whole multitude ran out with shouts of joy and music playing on all kinds of instruments some were playing on harps some on viols and some blowing on ram's horns 
some also were casting dust and ashes toward heaven and chief among them all was josiah blowing his bugle and making sounds so great the neighboring hills and valleys echoed with the resounding acclamation when they had played and their harps had sounded till the grooms and brides approached the gates reuben the father met them and welcomed them to his house the wedding feast being now ready they were all invited to sit down and eat placing the bridegrooms and their brides at each end of the table waiters were then appointed to serve and wait on the guests when all had eaten and were full and merry they went out again and played and sung till night and when they had made an end of feasting and rejoicing the multitude dispersed each going to his own home the family then took seats with their waiters to converse while preparations were being made in two upper chambers for the brides and grooms this being done the waiters took the two brides upstairs placing one in a room at the right hand of the stairs and the other on the left the waiters came down and nancy the mother then gave directions to the waiters of the bridegrooms and they took them upstairs but placed them in the wrong rooms the waiters then all came downstairs but the mother being fearful of a mistake made inquiry of the waiters and learning the true facts took the light and sprang upstairs it came to pass she ran to one of the rooms and exclaimed oh lord reuben you are with the wrong wife the young men both alarmed at this ran out with such violence against each other they came near knocking each other down the tumult gave evidence to those below that the mistake was certain at last they all came down and had a long conversation about who made the mistake but it could not be decided so ended the chapter the original manuscript of the chronicles of reuben was last in the possession of redmond grigsby of rockport indiana a newspaper which had obtained a copy of the chronicles sent a reporter to interview elizabeth grigsby or aunt betsy as she was called and asked her about the famous manuscript and the mistake made at the double wedding yes they did have a joke on us said aunt betsy they said my man got into the wrong room and charles got into my room but it wasn't so lincoln just wrote that for mischief abe and my man often laughed about that likely to do it an officer having had some trouble with general sherman being very angry presented himself before mr lincoln who was visiting the camp and said mr president i have a cause of grievance this morning i went to general sherman and he threatened to shoot me threatened to shoot you asked mr lincoln well in a stage whisper if i were you i would keep away from him if he threatens to shoot i would not trust him for i believe he would do it the enemy are iron early in the presidential campaign of eighteen sixty four president lincoln said one night to a late caller at the white house we have met the enemy and there are i think the cabal of obstructionists are bested i feel certain that if i live i'm going to be re-elected whether i deserve to be or not it is not for me to say but on the score even of remunerative chances for speculative service i now am inspired with the hope that our disturbed country further requires the valuable services of your humble servant jordan has been a hard road to travel but i feel now that notwithstanding the enemies i have made and the faults i have committed i'll be dumped on the right side of that stream 
i hope however that i may never have another four years of such anxiety tribulation and abuse my only ambition is and has been to put down the rebellion and restore peace after which i want to resign my office go abroad take some rest study foreign governments see something of foreign life and in my old age die in peace with all of the good of god's creatures and here i am an old acquaintance of the president visited him in washington lincoln desired to give him a place thus encouraged the visitor who was an honest man but wholly inexperienced in public affairs or business asked for a high office superintendent of the mint the president was aghast and said good gracious why didn't he ask to be secretary of the treasury and have done with it afterwards he said well now i never thought mr blank had anything more than average ability when we were young men together but then i suppose he thought the same thing about me and here i am safe as long as they were good at the celebrated peace conference whereat there was much powwow and no result president lincoln in response to certain remarks by the confederate commissioners commented with some severity upon the conduct of the confederate leaders saying that they had plainly forfeited all right to immunity from punishment for their treason being positive and unequivocal in stating his views concerning individual treason his words were of ominous import there was a pause during which commissioner hunter regarded the speaker with a steady searching look at length carefully measuring his words mr hunter said then mr president if we understand you correctly you think that we of the confederacy have committed treason are traitors to your government have forfeited our rights and are proper subjects for the hangman is not that about what your words imply yes replied president lincoln you have stated the proposition better than i did that is about the size of it another pause and a painful one succeeded and then hunter with a pleasant smile remarked well mr lincoln we have about concluded that we shall not be hanged as long as you are president if we behave ourselves and hunter meant what he said smelt no royalty in our carriage on one occasion in going to meet an appointment in the southern part of the sucker state that section of illinois called egypt lincoln with other friends was traveling in the caboose of a freight train when the freight was switched off the main track to allow a special train to pass lincoln's more aristocratic rival stephen a douglas was being conveyed to the same town in this special the passing train was decorated with banners and flags and carried a band of music which was playing hail to the chief as the train whistled past lincoln broke out in a fit of laughter and said boys the gentleman in that car evidently smelt no royalty in our carriage hell a mile from the white house ward layman told this story of president lincoln whom he found one day in a particularly gloomy frame of mind layman said the president remarked as i came in i fear i have made senator wade of ohio my enemy for life how i asked well continued the president wade was here just now urging me to dismiss grant and in response to something he said i remarked senator that reminds me of a story 
what did wade say i inquired of the president he said in a petulant way the president responded it is with you sir all story story you are the father of every military blunder that has been made during the war you are on your road to hell sir with this government by your obstinacy and you are not a mile off this minute what did you say then i good-naturedly said to him the president replied senator that is just about from here to the capitol is it not he was very angry grabbed up his hat and cane and went away his glass hack president lincoln had not been in the white house very long before mrs lincoln became seized with the idea that a fine new barouche was about the proper thing for the first lady of the land the president did not care particularly about it one way or the other and told his wife to order whatever she wanted lincoln forgot all about the new vehicle and was overcome with astonishment one afternoon when having acceded to mrs lincoln's desire to go driving he found a beautiful barouche standing in front of the door of the white house his wife watched him with an amused smile but the only remark he made was well mary that's about the slickest glass hack in town isn't it leave him kicking lincoln in the days of his youth was often unfaithful to his quaker traditions on the day of election in eighteen forty word came to him that one radford a democratic contractor had taken possession of one of the polling places with his workmen and was preventing the whigs from voting lincoln started off at a gate which showed his interest in the matter at hand he went up to radford and persuaded him to leave the polls remarking at the same time radford you'll spoil and blow if you live much longer radford's prudence prevented an actual collision which it is said lincoln regretted he told his friend speed he wanted radford to show fight so that he might knock him down and leave him kicking who commenced this fuss president lincoln was at all times an advocate of peace provided it could be obtained honorably and with credit to the united states as to the cause of the civil war which side of mason and dixon's line was responsible for it who fired the first shots who were the aggressors etc lincoln did not seem to bother about he wanted to preserve the union above all things slavery he was assured was dead but he thought the former slaveholders should be recompensed to illustrate his feelings in the matter he told this story some of the supporters of the union cause are opposed to accommodate or yield to the south in any manner or way because the confederates began the war were determined to take their states out of the union and consequently should be held responsible to the last stage for whatever may come in the future now this reminds me of a good story i heard once when i lived in illinois a vicious bull in a pasture took after everybody who tried to cross the lot and one day a neighbor of the owner was the victim this man was a speedy fellow and got to a friendly tree ahead of the bull but not in time to climb the tree so he led the enraged animal a merry race around the tree until finally succeeding in seizing the bull by the tail the bull being at a disadvantage not able to either catch the man or release his tail was mad enough to eat nails he dug up the earth with his feet scattered gravel all around 
bellowed until you could hear him for two miles or more and at length broke into a dead run the man hanging on to his tail all the time while the bull much out of temper was legging it to the best of his ability his tormentor still clinging to the tail asked darn you who commenced this fuss it's our duty to settle this fuss at the earliest possible moment no matter who commenced it that's my idea of it end of part six part seven of lincoln's yarns and stories by alexander k mcclure this librivox recording is in the public domain part seven abe's little joke when general w t sherman november twelfth eighteen sixty four severed all communication with the north and started for savannah with his magnificent army of sixty thousand men there was much anxiety for a month as to his whereabouts president lincoln in response to an inquiry said i know what hole sherman went in at but i don't know what hole he'll come out at colonel mcclure had been in consultation with the president one day about two weeks after sherman's disappearance and in this connection related this incident i was leaving the room and just as i reached the door the president turned around and with a merry twinkling of the eye inquired mcclure wouldn't you like to hear something from sherman the inquiry electrified me at the instant as it seemed to imply that lincoln had some information on the subject i immediately answered well, yes most of all i should like to hear from sherman to this president lincoln answered with a hearty laugh well i'll be hanged if i wouldn't myself what summer thought although himself a most polished even a fastidious gentleman senator sumner never allowed lincoln's homely ways to hide his great qualities he gave him a respect and esteem at the start which others accorded only after experience the senator was most tactful too in his dealings with mrs lincoln and soon had a firm footing in the household that he was proud of this perhaps a little boastful there is no doubt lincoln himself appreciated this sumner thinks he runs me he said with an amused twinkle one day a useless dog when hood's army had been scattered into fragments president lincoln elated by the defeat of what had so long been a menacing force on the borders of tennessee was reminded by its collapse of the fate of a savage dog belonging to one of his neighbors in the frontier settlements in which he lived in his youth the dog he said was the terror of the neighborhood and its owner a churlish and quarrelsome fellow took pleasure in the brute's forcible attitude finally all other means having failed to subdue the creature a man loaded a lump of meat with a charge of powder to which was attached a slow fuse this was dropped where the dreaded dog would find it and the animal gulped down the tempting bait there was a dull rumbling a muffled explosion and fragments of the dog were seen flying in every direction the grieved owner picking up the shattered remains of his cruel favorite said he was a good dog but as a dog his days of usefulness are over hood's army was a good army said lincoln by way of comment and we were all afraid of it but as an army its usefulness is gone origin of the influence story 
judge baldwin of california being in washington called one day on general halleck then commander-in-chief of the union forces and presuming upon a familiar acquaintance in california a few years since solicited a pass outside of our lines to see a brother in virginia not thinking that he would meet with a refusal as both his brother and himself were good union men we have been deceived too often said general halleck and i regret i can't grant it judge b then went to stanton and was very briefly disposed of with the same result finally he obtained an interview with mr lincoln and stated his case have you applied to general halleck inquired the president yes and met with a flat refusal said judge b then you must see stanton continued the president i have and with the same result was the reply well then said mr lincoln with a smile i can do nothing for you must know that i have very little influence with this administration although i hope to have more with the next felt sorry for both many ladies attended the famous debates between lincoln and douglas and they were the most unprejudiced listeners i can recall only one fact of the debates says mrs william crotty of seneca illinois that i felt so sorry for lincoln while douglas was speaking and then to my surprise i felt so sorry for douglas when lincoln replied the disinterested to whom it was an intellectual game felt the power and charm of both men where did it come from what made the deepest impression upon you inquired a friend one day when you stood in the presence of the falls of niagara the greatest of natural wonders oh the thing that struck me most forcibly when i saw the falls lincoln responded with characteristic deliberation was where in the world did all that water come from long abe four years longer the second election of abraham lincoln to the presidency of the united states was the reward of his courage and genius bestowed upon him by the people of the union states general george b mcclellan was his opponent in eighteen sixty four upon the platform that the war is a failure and carried but three states new jersey delaware and kentucky the states which did not think the war was a failure were those in new england new york pennsylvania all the western commonwealths west virginia tennessee louisiana arkansas and the new state of nevada admitted into the union on october thirty first president lincoln's popular majority over mcclellan who never did much toward making the war a success was more than four hundred thousand underneath the cartoon reproduced here from harper's weekly of november twenty sixth eighteen sixty four were the words long abraham lincoln a little longer but the beloved president's time upon earth was not to be much longer as he was assassinated just one month and ten days after his second inauguration indeed the words a little longer printed below the cartoon were strangely prophetic although not intended to be such the people of the united states had learned to love long abe their affection being of a purely personal nature in the main no other chief executive was regarded as so sincerely the friend of the great mass of the inhabitants of the republic as lincoln he was in truth one of the common people having been born among them and lived as one of them lincoln's great height made him an easy subject for the cartoonist and they used it in his favor as well as against him all sicker'n your man 
a commissioner to the hawaiian islands was to be appointed and eight applicants had filed their papers when a delegation from the south appeared at the white house on behalf of a ninth not only was their man fit so the delegation urged but was also in bad health and a residence in that balmy climate would be of great benefit to him the president was rather impatient that day and before the members of the delegation had fairly started in suddenly closed the interview with this remark gentlemen i am sorry to say that there are eight other applicants for that place and they are all sicker'n your man easier to empty the potomac an officer of low volunteer rank persisted in telling and retelling his troubles to the president on a summer afternoon when lincoln was tired and careworn after listening patiently he finally turned upon the man and looking wearily out upon the broad potomac in the distance said in a peremptory tone that ended the interview now my man go away go away i cannot meddle in your case i could as easily bail out the potomac river with a teaspoon as attend to all the details of the army he wanted a steady hand when the emancipation proclamation was taken to mr lincoln by secretary seward for the president's signature mr lincoln took a pen dipped it in the ink moved his hand to the place for the signature held it a moment then removed his hand and dropped the pen after a little hesitation he again took up the pen and went through the same movement as before mr lincoln then turned to mr seward and said i have been shaking hands since nine o'clock this morning and my right arm is almost paralyzed if my name ever goes into history it will be for this act and my whole soul is in it if my hand trembles when i sign the proclamation all who examine the document hereafter will say he hesitated he then turned to the table took up the pen again and slowly firmly wrote abraham lincoln with which the whole world is now familiar he then looked up smiled and said that will do lincoln saw stanton about it mr lovejoy heading a committee of western men discussed an important scheme with the president and the gentlemen were then directed to explain it to secretary of war stanton upon presenting themselves to the secretary and showing the president's order the secretary said did lincoln give you an order of that kind he did sir then he is a damned fool said the angry secretary do you mean to say that the president is a damned fool asked lovejoy in amazement yes sir if he gave you such an order as that the bewildered illinoisan betook himself at once to the president and related the result of the conference did stanton say i was a damn fool asked lincoln at the close of the recital he did sir and repeated it after a moment's pause and looking up the president said if stanton said i was a damned fool then i must be one for he is nearly always right and generally says what he means i will slip over and see him mrs lincoln's surprise a good story is told of how mrs lincoln made a little surprise for her husband in the early days it was customary for lawyers to go from one county to another on horseback a journey which often required several weeks on returning from one of these trips late one night mr lincoln dismounted from his horse at the familiar corner and then turned to go into the house but stopped a perfectly unknown structure was before him surprised and thinking there must be some mistake 
he went across the way and knocked at a neighbor's door the family had retired and so called out who's there abe lincoln was the reply i'm looking for my house i thought it was across the way but when i went away a few weeks ago there was only a one-story house there and now there is a two-story house in its place i think i must be lost the neighbors explained then that mrs lincoln had added another story during his absence and mr lincoln laughed and went to his remodeled house menace to the government the persistence of office-seekers nearly drove president lincoln wild they slipped in through the half-opened doors of the executive mansion they dogged his steps if he walked they edged their way through the crowds and thrust their papers in his hands when he rode and taking it all in all they well-nigh worried him to death he once said that if the government passed through the rebellion without dismemberment there was the strongest danger of its falling a prey to the rapacity of the office-seeking class this human struggle and scramble for office for a way to live without work will finally test the strength of our institutions were the words he used troops couldn't fly over it on april twentieth a delegation from baltimore appeared at the white house and begged the president that troops for washington be sent around and not through baltimore president lincoln replied laughingly if i grant this concession you will be back tomorrow asking that no troops be marched round it the president was right that afternoon and again on sunday and monday committees sought him protesting that maryland soil should not be polluted by the feet of soldiers marching against the south the president had but one reply we must have troops and as they can neither crawl under maryland nor fly over it they must come across it pat was forenst the government the governor-general of canada with some of his principal officers visited president lincoln in the summer of eighteen sixty four they had been very troublesome in harboring blockade runners and they were said to have carried on a large trade from their ports with the confederates lincoln treated his guests with great courtesy after a pleasant interview the governor alluding to the coming presidential election said jokingly but with a grain of sarcasm i understand mr president that everybody votes in this country if we remain until november can we vote you remind me replied the president of a countryman of yours a green immigrant from ireland pat arrived on election day and perhaps was as eager as your excellency to vote and to vote early and late and often so upon landing at castle garden he hastened to the nearest voting place and as he approached the judge who received the ballots inquired who do you want to vote for on which side are you poor pat was embarrassed he did not know who were the candidates he stopped scratched his head then with the readiness of his countrymen he said i'm forence the government anyhow tell me if your honor plays which is the rebellion side and i tell you how i want to vote in old ireland i was always on the rebellion side and by st patrick i'll do that same in america your excellency said mr lincoln would i should think not be at all at a loss on which side to vote can't spare this man one night about eleven o'clock colonel a k mcclure whose intimacy with president lincoln was so great that he could obtain admittance to the executive mansion at any and all hours 
called at the white house to urge mr lincoln to remove general grant from command after listening patiently for a long time the president gathering himself up in his chair said with the utmost earnestness i can't spare this man he fights in relating the particulars of this interview colonel mcclure said that was all he said but i knew that it was enough and that grant was safe in lincoln's hand against his countless hosts of enemies the only man in all the nation who had the power to save grant was lincoln and he had decided to do it he was not influenced by any personal partiality for grant for they had never met it was not until after the battle of shiloh fought on the sixth and seventh of april eighteen sixty two that lincoln was placed in a position to exercise a controlling influence in shaping the destiny of grant the first reports from the shiloh battlefield created profound alarm throughout the entire country and the wildest exaggerations were spread in a flood-tide of vituperation against grant the few up today who can recall the inflamed condition of public sentiment against grant caused by the disastrous first day's battle at shiloh will remember that he was denounced as incompetent for his command by the public journals of all parties in the north and with almost entire unanimity by senators and congressmen regardless of political affinities i appealed to lincoln for his own sake to remove grant at once and in giving my reasons for it i simply voiced the admittedly overwhelming protest from the loyal people of the land against grant's continuance in command i did not forget that lincoln was the one man who never allowed himself to appear as wantonly defying public sentiment it seemed to me impossible for him to save grant without taking a crushing load of condemnation upon himself but lincoln was wiser than all those around him and he not only saved grant but he saved him by such well-concerted effort that he soon won popular applause from those who were most violent in demanding grant's dismissal his teeth chattered during the Lincoln-Douglas joint debates of 1858, the latter accused Lincoln of having, when in Congress, voted against the appropriation for supplies to be sent the United States soldiers in Mexico. In reply, Lincoln said, This is a perversion of the facts. I was opposed to the policy of the administration in declaring war against Mexico but when war was declared i never failed to vote for the support of any proposition looking to the comfort of our poor fellows who were maintaining the dignity of our flag in a war that i thought unnecessary and unjust he gradually became more and more excited his voice thrilled and his whole frame shook sitting on the stand was o b ficklin who had served in congress with lincoln in eighteen forty seven lincoln reached back took ficklin by the coat collar back of his neck and in no gentle manner lifted him from his seat as if he had been a kitten and roared fellow citizens here is ficklin who was at that time in congress with me and he knows it is a lie he shook ficklin until his teeth chattered fearing he would shake ficklin's head off ward layman grasped lincoln's hand and broke his grip after the speaking was over ficklin who had warm personal friendship with him said lincoln you nearly shook all the democracy out of me today aaron got his commission 
President Lincoln was censured for appointing one that had zealously opposed his second term. He replied, Well, I suppose Judge E., having been disappointed before, did behave pretty ugly, but that wouldn't make him any less fit for the place, and I think I have scriptural authority for appointing him. You remember when the Lord was on Mount Sinai getting out a commission for Aaron, that same Aaron was at the foot of the mountain, making a false god for the people to worship. Yet Aaron got his commission, you know. Lincoln and the Ministers at the time of Lincoln's nomination at Chicago, Mr. Newton Bateman, superintendent of public instruction for the state of Illinois, occupied a room adjoining and opening into the executive chamber at Springfield. Frequently this door was opened during Mr. Lincoln's receptions, and throughout the seven months or more of his occupation, he saw him nearly every day. Often, when Mr. Lincoln was tired, he closed the door against all intruders and called Mr. Bateman into his room for a quiet talk. On one of these occasions, Mr. Lincoln took up a book containing canvas of the city of Springfield, in which he lived, showing the candidate for whom each citizen had declared it his intention to vote in the approaching election. Mr. Lincoln's friends had, doubtless at his own request, placed the result of the canvas in his hands. This was towards the close of October, and only a few days before election. Calling Mr. Bateman to a seat by his side, having previously locked all the doors, he said, Let us look over this book. I wish particularly to see how the ministers, if Springfield, are going to vote. The leaves were turned one by one, and as the names were examined, Mr. Lincoln frequently asked if this one and that one was not a minister, or an elder, or a member of such and such a church, and sadly expressed his surprise on receiving an affirmative answer. In that manner he went through the book, and then he closed it, and sat silently for a few minutes regarding a memorandum in pencil which lay before him. At length he turned to Mr. Bateman with a face full of sadness and said, Here are twenty-three ministers of different denominations, and all of them are against me but three, and here are a great many prominent members of churches, a very large majority are against me. Mr. Bateman, I am not a Christian, God knows I would be one, but I have carefully read the Bible, and I do not so understand this book and he drew forth a pocket new testament these men well know he continued that i am for freedom in the territories freedom everywhere as free as the constitution and the laws will permit and that my opponents are for slavery they know this and yet with this book in their hands in the light of which human bondage cannot live a moment they are going to vote against me i do not understand it at all here Mr. Lincoln paused, paused for long minutes, his features surcharged with emotion. Then he rose and walked up and down the reception room in the effort to retain or regain his self-possession. Stopping at last, he said with a trembling voice and cheeks wet with tears, I know there is a God and that he hates injustice and slavery. I see the storm coming and I know that his hand is in it. If he has a place and work for me, and I think he has, I believe I am ready. I am nothing, but truth is everything. I know I am right, because I know that liberty is right, for Christ teaches it, and Christ is God. 
i have told them that a house divided against itself cannot stand and christ and reason say the same and they will find it so douglas doesn't care whether slavery is voted up or down but god cares and humanity cares and i care and with god's help i shall not fail i may not see the end but it will come and i shall be vindicated and these men will find they have not read their bible right much of this was uttered as if he were speaking to himself and with a sad earnest solemnity of manner impossible to be described after a pause he resumed doesn't it seem strange that men can ignore the moral aspect of this contest no revelation could make it plainer to me that slavery or the government must be destroyed the future would be something awful as i look at it but for this rock on which i stand alluding to the testament which he still held in his hand especially with the knowledge of how these ministers are going to vote it seems as if god had borne with this thing slavery until the teachers of religion have come to defend it from the bible and to claim for it a divine character and sanction and now the cup of iniquity is full and the vials of wrath will be poured out everything he said was of a peculiarly deep tender and religious tone and all was tinged with a touching melancholy he repeatedly referred to his conviction that the day of wrath was at hand and that he was to be an actor in the terrible struggles which would issue in the overthrow of slavery although he might not live to see the end after further reference to a belief in the divine providence and the fact of god in history the conversation turned upon prayer he freely stated his belief in the duty privilege and efficacy of prayer and intimated in no unmistakable terms that he had sought in that way divine guidance and favor the effect of this conversation upon the mind of mr bateman a christian gentleman whom mr lincoln profoundly respected was to convince him that mr lincoln had in a quiet way found a path to the christian standpoint that he had found god and rested on the eternal truth of god as the two men were about to separate mr bateman remarked i have not supposed that you were accustomed to think so much upon this class of subjects certainly your friends generally are ignorant of the sentiments you have expressed to me he replied quickly i know they are but i think more on these subjects than upon all others and i have done so for years and i am willing you should know it hardtack better than generals secretary of war stanton told the president the following story which greatly amused the latter as he was especially fond of a joke at the expense of some high military or civil dignitary stanton had little or no sense of humor when secretary stanton was making a trip up the broad river in north carolina in a tugboat a federal picket yelled out what have you got on board of that tug the severe and dignified answer was the secretary of war and major general foster instantly the picket roared back we've got major generals enough up here why don't you bring us up some hardtack got the preacher a story told by a cabinet member tended to show how accurately lincoln could calculate political results in advance a faculty which remained with him all his life a friend who was a democrat had come to him early in the canvass 
and told him he wanted to see him elected but did not like to vote against his party still he would vote for him if the contest was to be so close that every vote was needed a short time before the election lincoln said to him i have got the preacher and i don't want your vote big joke on halleck when general halleck was commander-in-chief of the union forces with headquarters at washington president lincoln unconsciously played a big practical joke upon that dignified officer the president had spent the night at the soldier's home and the next morning asked captain derrickson commanding the company of pennsylvania soldiers which was the presidential guard at the white house and the home wherever the president happened to be to go to town with him captain derrickson told the story in a most entertaining way when we entered the city mr lincoln said he would call at general halleck's headquarters and get what news had been received from the army during the night i informed him that general Cullum, chief aide to general halleck was raised in meadville and that i knew him when i was a boy he replied then we must see both the gentlemen when the carriage stopped he requested me to remain seated and said he would bring the gentlemen down to see me the office being on the second floor in a short time the president came down followed by the other gentlemen when he introduced them to me general Cullum recognized and seemed pleased to see me in general halleck i thought i discovered a kind of quizzical look as much as to say isn't this rather a big joke to ask the commander-in-chief of the army down to the street to be introduced to a country captain end of part seven part eight of lincoln's yarns and stories by alexander k mcclure this librivox recording is in the public domain part eight stories better than doctors a gentleman visiting a hospital at washington heard an occupant of one of the beds laughing and talking about the president who had been there a short time before and gladdened the wounded with some of his stories the soldier seemed in such good spirits that the gentleman inquired oh you must be very slightly wounded yes replied the brave fellow very slightly i have only lost one leg and i'd be glad enough to lose the other if i could hear some more of old abe's stories short but exciting william b wilson employed in the telegraph office at the war department ran over to the white house one day to summon mr lincoln he described the trip back to the war department in this manner calling one of his two younger boys to join him we then started from the white house between stately trees along a gravel path which led to the rear of the old war department building it was a warm day and mr lincoln wore as part of his costume a faded gray linen duster which hung loosely around his long gaunt frame his kindly eye was beaming with good nature and his ever thoughtful brow was unruffled we had barely reached the gravel walk before he stooped over picked up a round smooth pebble and shooting it off his thumb challenged us to a game of followings which we accepted each in turn tried to hit the outlying stone which was being constantly projected onward by the president the game was short but exciting the cheerfulness of childhood the ambition of young manhood and the gravity of the statesman were all injected into it the game was not won until the steps of the war department were reached 
every inch of progression was toughly contested and when the president was declared victor it was only by a handspan he appeared to be as much pleased as if he had won a battle mr bull didn't get his cotton because of the blockade by the union fleets of the southern cotton ports england was deprived of her supply of cotton and scores of thousands of british operatives were thrown out of employment by the closing of the cotton mills at manchester and other cities in great britain england john bull felt so badly about this that the british wanted to go to war on account of it but when the united states eagle ruffled up its wings the english thought over the business and concluded not to fight harper's weekly of may sixteenth eighteen sixty three contained the cartoon we reproduce which shows john bull as manifesting much anxiety regarding the cotton he had bought from the southern planters but which the latter could not deliver beneath the cartoon is this bit of dialogue between john bull and president lincoln mr bull confiding creature i want my cotton about a a pound mr lincoln don't know anything about it my dear sir your friends the rebels are burning all the cotton they can find and i confiscate the rest good morning john as president lincoln has a big fifteen-inch gun at his side the black muzzle of which is pressed tightly against mr bull's waistcoat the president to all appearances has the best of the argument by a long shot anyhow mr bull had nothing more to say but gave the cotton matter up as a bad piece of business and pocketed the loss stick to american principles president lincoln's first conclusion that mason and slidell should be released was the real ground on which the administration submitted we must stick to american principles concerning the rights of neutrals it was to many as secretary of the treasury chase declared it was to him gall and wormwood james russell lowell's verse expressed best the popular feeling we give the critters back john cause abram thought twas right and want your bullying clack john provokin us to fight the decision raised mr lincoln immeasurably in the view of thoughtful men especially in england used rude tact general john c fremont with headquarters at st louis astonished the country by issuing a proclamation declaring among other things that the property real and personal of all the persons in the state of missouri who should take up arms against the united states or who should be directly proved to have taken an active part with its enemies in the field would be confiscated to public use and their slaves if they had any declared freemen the president was dismayed he modified that part of the proclamation referring to slaves and finally replaced fremont with general hunter mrs fremont daughter of senator t h benton her husband's real chief of staff flew to washington and sought mr lincoln it was midnight but the president gave her an audience without waiting for an explanation she violently charged him with sending an enemy to missouri to look into fremont's case and threatening that if fremont desired to he could set up a government for himself i had to exercise all the rude tact i have to avoid quarrelling with her said mr lincoln afterwards abe on a woodpile 
lincoln's attempt to make a lawyer of himself under adverse and unpromising circumstances he was a barefooted farmhand excited comment and it was not to be wondered one old man who was yet alive as late as nineteen o one had often employed lincoln to do farm work for him and was surprised to find him one day sitting barefoot on the summit of a woodpile and attentively reading a book this being an unusual thing for farm hands in that early day to do said the old man when relating the story i asked him what was he reading i'm not reading he answered i'm studying studying what i inquired law sir was the emphatic response it was really too much for me as i looked at him sitting there proud as cicero great god almighty i exclaimed and passed on lincoln merely laughed and resumed his studies taking down a dandy in a political campaign lincoln once replied to colonel richard taylor a self-conceited dandified man who wore a gold chain and ruffled shirt his party at that time was posing as the hard-working bone and sinew of the land while the whigs were stigmatized as aristocrats ruffled shirt gentry taylor making a sweeping gesture his overcoat became torn open displaying his finery lincoln in reply said laying his hand on his jeans clad breast here is your aristocrat one of your silk stocking gentry at your service then spreading out his hands bronzed and gaunt with toil here is your rag basin with lily-white hands yes i suppose according to my friend taylor i am a bloated aristocrat when old abe got mad soon after hostilities broke out between the north and south congress appointed a committee on the conduct of the war this committee beset mr lincoln and urged all sorts of measures its members were aggressive and patriotic and one thing they determined upon was that the army of the potomac should move but it was not until march that they became convinced that anything should be done one day early in that month senator chandler of michigan a member of the committee met george w julian he was in high glee old abe is mad said julian and the war will now go on wanted to borrow the army during one of the periods when things were at a standstill the washington authorities being unable to force general mcclellan to assume an aggressive attitude president lincoln went to the general's headquarters to have a talk with him but for some reason he was unable to get an audience mr lincoln returned to the white house much disturbed at his failure to see the commander of the union forces and immediately sent for two general officers to have a consultation on their arrival he told them he must have some one to talk to about the situation and as he had failed to see general mcclellan he wished their views as to the possibility or probability of commencing active operations with the army of the potomac something's got to be done said the president emphatically and done right away or the bottom will fall out of the whole thing now if mcclellan doesn't want to use the army for a while i'd like to borrow it from him and see if i can't do something or other with it if mcclellan can't fish he ought at least to be cutting bait at a time like this young sucker visitors 
after mr lincoln's nomination for the presidency the executive chamber a large fine room in the state house at springfield was set apart for him where he met the public until after his election as illustrative of the nature of many of his calls the following incident was related by mr holland an eye-witness mr lincoln being in conversation with a gentleman one day two raw plainly dressed young suckers entered the room and bashfully lingered near the door as soon as he observed them and saw their embarrassment he rose and walked to them saying how do you do my good fellows what can i do for you will you sit down the spokesman of the pair the shorter of the two declined to sit and explained the object of the call thus he had had a talk about the relative height of mr lincoln and his companion and had asserted his belief that they were of exactly the same height he had come in to verify his judgment mr lincoln smiled went and got his cane and placing the end of it upon the wall said here young man come under here the young man came under the cane as mr lincoln held it and when it was perfectly adjusted to his height mr lincoln said now come out and hold the cane this he did while mr lincoln stood under rubbing his head back and forth to see that it worked easily under the measurement he stepped out and declared to the sagacious fellow who was curiously looking on that he had guessed with remarkable accuracy that he and the young man were exactly the same height then he shook hands with them and sent them on their way mr lincoln would just as soon have thought of cutting off his right hand as he would have thought of turning those boys away with the impression that they had in any way insulted his dignity and you don't wear hoop skirts an ohio senator had an appointment with president lincoln at six o'clock and as he entered the vestibule of the white house his attention was attracted toward a poorly clad young woman who was violently sobbing he asked her the cause of her distress she said she had been ordered away by the servants after vainly waiting many hours to see the president about her only brother who had been condemned to death her story was this she and her brother were foreigners and orphans they had been in this country several years her brother enlisted in the army but through bad influences was induced to desert he was captured tried and sentenced to be shot the old story the poor girl had obtained the signature of some persons who had formerly known him to a petition for a pardon and alone had come to washington to lay the case before the president thronged as the waiting-rooms always were she had passed the long hours of two days trying in vain to get an audience and had at length been ordered away the gentleman's feelings were touched he said to her that he had come to see the president but did not know as he should succeed he told her however to follow him upstairs and he would see what could be done for her just after reaching the door mr lincoln came out and meeting his friend said good-humouredly are you not ahead of time the gentleman showed him his watch with the hand upon the hour of six well returned mr lincoln i have been so busy to-day that i have not had time to get a lunch go in and sit down i will be back directly the gentleman made the young woman accompany him into the office and when they were seated said to her now my good girl i want you to muster all the courage you have in the world when the president comes back he will sit down in that armchair 
i shall get up to speak to him and as i do so you must force yourself between us and insist upon his examination of your papers telling him it is a case of life and death and admits of no delay these instructions were carried out to the letter mr lincoln was at first somewhat surprised at the apparent forwardness of the young woman but observing her distressed appearance he ceased conversation with his friend and commenced an examination of the document she had placed in his hands glancing from it to the face of the petitioner whose tears had broken forth afresh he studied its expression for a moment and then his eye fell upon her scanty but neat dress instantly his face lighted up my poor girl said he you have come here with no governor or senator or member of congress to plead your cause you seem honest and truthful and you don't wear hoop skirts and i will be whipped but i will pardon your brother and he did lieutenant tad lincoln's sentinels president lincoln's favorite son tad having been sportively commissioned a lieutenant in the united states army by secretary stanton procured several muskets and drilled the men-servants of the house in the manual of arms without attracting the attention of his father and one night to his consternation he put them all on duty and relieved the regular sentries who seeing the lad in full uniform or perhaps appreciating the joke gladly went to their quarters his brother objected but tad insisted upon his rice as an officer the president laughed but declined to interfere but when the lad had lost his little authority in his boyish sleep the commander-in-chief of the army and navy of the united states went down and personally discharged the sentries his son had put on the post douglas held lincoln's hat when mr lincoln delivered his first inaugural he was introduced by his friend united states senator e d baker of oregon he carried a cane and a little roll the manuscript of his inaugural address there was moments pause after the introduction as he vainly looked for a spot where he might place his high silk hat stephen a douglas the political antagonist of his whole public life the man who had pressed him hardest in the campaign of eighteen sixty was seated just behind him douglas stepped forward quickly and took the hat which mr lincoln held helplessly in his hand if i can't be president douglas whispered smilingly to mrs brown a cousin of mrs lincoln and a member of the president's party i at least can hold his hat the dead man spoke mr lincoln once said in a speech fellow citizens my friend mr douglas made the startling announcement to-day that the whigs are all dead if that be so fellow citizens you will now experience the novelty of hearing a speech from a dead man and i suppose you might properly say in the language of the old hymn hark from the tombs a doleful sound military snails not speedy president lincoln as he himself put it in conversation one day with a friend fairly ached for his generals to get down to business these slow generals he termed snails grant sherman and sheridan were his favorites for they were aggressive they did not wait for the enemy to attack too many of the others were lingerers as lincoln called them they were magnificent in defense and stubborn and brave but their names figured too much on the waiting list the greatest fault lincoln found with so many of the commanders on the union side 
was their unwillingness to move until everything was exactly to their liking lincoln could not understand why these leaders of northern armies hesitated outran the jackrabbit when the union forces were routed in the first battle of bull run there were many civilians present who had gone out from washington to witness the battle among the number were several congressmen one of these was a tall long-legged fellow who wore a long-tailed coat and a high plug hat when the retreat began this congressman was in the lead of the entire crowd fleeing toward washington he outran all the rest and was the first man to arrive in the city no person ever made such good use of long legs as this congressman his immense stride carried him yards at every bound he went over ditches and gullies at a single leap and cleared a six-foot fence with a foot to spare as he went over the fence his plug hat blew off but he did not pause with his long coat-tails flying in the wind he continued straight ahead for washington many of those behind him were scared almost to death but the flying congressman was such a comical figure that they had to laugh in spite of their terror mr lincoln enjoyed the description of how this congressman led the race from bull's run and laughed at it heartily i never knew but one fellow who could run like that he said and he was a young man out in illinois he had been sparking a girl much against the wishes of her father in fact the old man took such a dislike to him that he threatened to shoot him if he ever caught him around his premises again one evening the young man learned that the girl's father had gone to the city and he ventured out to the house he was sitting in the parlor with his arm around betsy's waist when he suddenly spied the old man coming round the corner of the house with a shotgun leaping through a window into the garden he started down a path at the top of his speed he was a long-legged fellow and could run like greased lightning just then a jackrabbit jumped up in the path in front of him in about two leaps he overtook the rabbit giving it a kick that sent it high in the air he exclaimed get out of the road gosh darn you and let somebody run that knows how i reckon said mr lincoln that the long-legged congressman when he saw the rebel muskets must have felt a good deal like that young fellow did when he saw the old man's shotgun fooling the people lincoln was a strong believer in the virtue of dealing honestly with the people if you once forfeit the confidence of your fellow citizens he said to a caller at the white house you can never regain their respect and esteem it is true that you may fool all the people some of the time you can even fool some of the people all the time but you can't fool all of the people all the time abe you can't play that on me the night president-elect lincoln arrived at washington one man was observed watching lincoln very closely as he walked out of the railroad station standing a little to one side the man looked very sharply at lincoln and as the latter passed seized hold of his hand and said in a loud tone of voice abe you can't lay that on me lord layman and the others with lincoln were instantly alarmed and would have struck the stranger had not lincoln hastily said don't strike him it is washburn don't you know him mr seward had given congressman washburn a hint of the time the train would arrive and he had the right to be at the station when the train steamed in but his indiscreet manner of loudly addressing the president-elect might have led to serious consequences to the latter his broad stories 
mrs rose linder wilkinson who often accompanied her father judge linder in the days when he rode circuit with mr lincoln tells the following story at night as a rule the lawyers spent a while in the parlor and permitted the women who happened to be along to sit with them but after half an hour or so we would notice it was time for us to leave them i remember traveling the circuit one season when the young wife of one of the lawyers was with him the place was so crowded that she and i were made to sleep together when the time came for banishing us from the parlor we went up to our room and sat there till bedtime listening to the roars that followed each other swiftly while those lawyers downstairs told stories and laughed till the rafters rang in the morning mr lincoln said to me rose did we disturb your sleep last night i answered no i had no sleep which was not entirely true but the retort amused him then the young lawyer's wife complained to him that we were not fairly used we came along with them young women and when they were having the best time we were sent away like children to go to bed in the dark but madam said mr lincoln you would not enjoy the things we laugh at and then he entered into a discussion of what have been termed his broad stories he deplored the fact that men seemed to remember them longer and with less effort than any others my father said but lincoln i don't remember the broad part of your story so much as i do the moral that is in them and it was a thing in which they were all agreed sorry for the horses when president lincoln heard of the confederate raid at fairfax in which a brigadier-general and a number of valuable horses were captured he gravely observed well i am sorry for the horses sorry for the horses mr president exclaimed the secretary of war raising his spectacles and throwing himself back in his chair in astonishment yes replied mr lincoln i can make brigadier-general in five minutes but it is not easy to replace a hundred and ten horses mild rebuke to a doctor dr jerome walker of brooklyn told how mr lincoln once administered to him a mild rebuke the doctor was showing mr lincoln through the hospital at city point finally after visiting the wards occupied by our invalid and convalescing soldiers said dr walker we came to three wards occupied by sick and wounded southern prisoners with a feeling of patriotic duty i said mr president you won't want to go in there they are only rebels i will never forget how he stopped and gently laid his large hand upon my shoulder and quietly answered you mean confederates and i have meant confederates ever since there was nothing left for me to do after the president's remark but to go with him through these three wards and i could not see but that he was just as kind his handshakings just as hearty his interest just as real for the welfare of the men as when he was among our own soldiers cold molasses was swifter old pap as the soldiers called general george h thomas was aggravatingly slow at a time when the president wanted him to get a move on in fact the gallant rock of chickamauga was evidently entered in a snail race some of my generals are so slow regretfully remarked lincoln one day that molasses in the coldest days of winter is a racehorse compared to them they're brave enough but somehow or other they get fastened in a fence corner and can't figure their way out lincoln calls medel a coward 
joseph medell for many years editor of the chicago tribune not long before his death told the following story regarding the talking to president lincoln gave himself and two other chicago gentlemen who went to washington to see about reducing chicago's quota of troops after the call for extra men was made by the president in eighteen sixty four in eighteen sixty four when the call for extra troops came chicago revolted she had already sent twenty two thousand troops up to that time and was drained when the call came there were no young men to go and no aliens except what were bought the citizens held a mass meeting and appointed three persons of whom i was one to go to washington and ask stanton to give cook county a new enrollment on reaching washington we went to stanton with our statement he refused entirely to give us the desired aid then we went to lincoln i cannot do it he said but i will go with you to the war department and stanton and i will hear both sides so we all went over to the war department together stanton and general fry were there and they of course contended that the quota should not be changed the argument went on for some time and was finally referred to lincoln who had been sitting silently listening i shall never forget how he suddenly lifted his head and turned on us a black and frowning face gentlemen he said in a voice full of bitterness after boston chicago has been the chief instrument in bringing war on this country the northwest has opposed the south as new england has opposed the south it is you who are largely responsible for making blood flow as it has you called for war until we had it you called for emancipation and i have given it to you whatever you have asked you have had now you come here begging to be led off from the call for men which i have made to carry out the war which you demanded you ought to be ashamed of yourselves i have a right to expect better things of you go home and raise your six thousand extra men and you medal you are acting like a coward you and your tribune have had more influence than any paper in the northwest in making this war you can influence great masses and yet you cry to be spared at a moment when your cause is suffering go home and send us those men i couldn't say anything it was the first time i ever was whipped and i didn't have an answer we all got up and went out and when the door closed one of my colleagues said well gentlemen the old man is right we ought to be ashamed of ourselves let us never say anything about this but go home and raise the men and we did six thousand men making twenty eight thousand in the war from a city of one hundred and fifty six thousand but there might have been crape on every door almost in chicago for every family had lost a son or a husband i lost two brothers it was hard for the mothers they didn't build it in eighteen sixty two a delegation of new york millionaires waited upon president lincoln to request that he furnish a gunboat for the protection of new york harbor mr lincoln after listening patiently said gentlemen the credit of the government is at a very low ebb greenbacks are not worth more than forty or fifty cents on the dollar it is impossible for me in the present condition of things to furnish you a gunboat and in this condition of things if i was worth half as much as you gentlemen are represented to be and as badly frightened as you seem to be i would build a gunboat and give it to the government 
End of part eight. Part nine of Lincoln's Yarns and Stories by Alexander K. McClure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part nine. Stanton's Abuse of Lincoln president lincoln's sense of duty to the country together with his keen judgment of men often led to the appointment of persons unfriendly to him some of these appointees were as well not loyal to the national government for that matter regarding secretary of war stanton's attitude toward lincoln colonel a k mcclure who was very close to president lincoln said after stanton's retirement from the buchanan cabinet when lincoln was inaugurated he maintained the closest confidential relations with buchanan and wrote him many letters expressing the utmost contempt for lincoln the cabinet the republican congress and the general policy of the administration these letters speak freely of the painful imbecility of lincoln and of the venality and corruption which ran riot in the government and expressed the belief that no better condition of things was possible until jeff davis turns out the whole concern he was firmly impressed for some weeks after the battle of bull run that the government was utterly overthrown as he repeatedly refers to the coming of davis into the national capital in one letter he says that in less than thirty days davis will be in possession of washington and it is an open secret that stanton advised the revolutionary overthrow of the lincoln government to be replaced by general mcclellan as military dictator these letters bad as they are are not the worst letters written by stanton to buchanan some of them were so violent in their expressions against lincoln and the administration that they have been charitably withheld from the public but they remain in the possession of the surviving relatives of president buchanan of course lincoln had no knowledge of the bitterness exhibited by stanton to himself personally and to his administration but if he had known the worst that stanton ever said or wrote about him i doubt not that he would have called him to the cabinet in january eighteen sixty two the disasters the army suffered made lincoln forgetful of everything but the single duty of suppressing the rebellion lincoln was not long in discovering that in his new secretary of war he had an invaluable but most troublesome cabinet officer but he saw only the great and good offices that stanton was performing for the imperiled republic confidence was restored in financial circles by the appointment of stanton and his name as war minister did more to strengthen the faith of the people in the government credit than would have been probable from the appointment of any other man of that day he was a terror to all the hordes of jobbers and speculators and camp followers whose appetites had been whetted by a great war and he enforced the strictest discipline throughout our armies he was seldom capable of being civil to any officer away from the army on leave of absence unless he had been summoned by the government for conference or special duty and he issued the strictest orders from time to time to drive the throng of military idlers from the capital and keep them at their posts he was stern to savagery in his enforcement of military law the wearied sentinel who slept at his post found no mercy in the heart of stanton and many times did lincoln's humanity overrule his fiery minister 
any neglect of military duty was sure of the swiftest punishment and seldom did he make even just allowance for inevitable military disaster he had profound unfaltering faith in the union cause and above all he had unfaltering faith in himself he believed that he was in all things except in name commander-in-chief of the armies and the navy of the nation and it was with unconcealed reluctance that he at times deferred to the authority of the president the negro and the crocodile in one of his political speeches judge douglas made use of the following figure of speech as between the crocodile and the negro i take the side of the negro but as between the negro and the white man i would go for the white man every time lincoln at home noted that and afterwards when he had occasion to refer to the remark he said i believe that this is a sort of proposition in proportion which may be stated thus as the negro is to the white man so is the crocodile to the negro and as the negro may rightfully treat the crocodile as a beast or reptile so the white man may rightfully treat the negro as a beast or reptile lincoln was ready to fight on one occasion colonel baker was speaking in a courthouse which had been a storehouse and on making some remarks that were offensive to certain political rowdies in the crowd they cried take him off the stand immediate confusion followed and there was an attempt to carry the demand into execution directly over the speaker's head was an old skylight at which it appeared mr lincoln had been listening to the speech in an instant mr lincoln's feet came through the skylight followed by his tall and sinewy frame and he was standing by colonel baker's side he raised his hand and the assembly subsided into silence gentlemen said mr lincoln let us not disgrace the age and country in which we live this is a land where freedom of speech is guaranteed mr baker has a right to speak and ought to be permitted to do so i am here to protect him and no man shall take him from this stand if i can prevent it the suddenness of his appearance his perfect calmness and fairness and the knowledge that he would do what he had promised to do quieted all disturbance and the speaker concluded his remarks without difficulty it was uphill work two young men called on the president from springfield illinois lincoln shook hands with them and asked about the crops the weather etc finally one of the young men said mother is not well and she sent me up to inquire of you how the suit about the wells property is getting on lincoln in the same even tone with which he had asked the question said give my best wishes and respects to your mother and tell her i have so many outside manners to attend to now that i have put that case and others in the hands of a lawyer friend of mine and if you will call on him giving name and address he will give you the information you want after they had gone a friend who was present said mr lincoln you did not seem to know the young men he laughed and replied no i'd never seen them before and i had to beat around the bush until i found who they were it was uphill work but i topped it at last lee's slim animal president lincoln wrote to general hooker on june five eighteen sixty three 
warning hooker not to run any risk of being entangled on the rappahannock like an ox jumped half over a fence and liable to be torn by dogs front and rear without a fair chance to give one way or kick the other on the tenth he warned hooker not to go south of the rappahannock upon lee's moving north of it i think lee's army and not richmond is your true objective power if he comes toward the upper potomac follow on his flank and on the inside track shortening your lines while he lengthens his fight him too when opportunity offers if he stay where he is fret him and fret him on the fourteenth again he says so far as we can make out here the enemy have milroy surrounded at winchester and tyler at martinburg if they could hold out for a few days could you help them if the head of lee's army is at martinsburg and the tail of it on the flank road between fredericksburg and chancellorsville the animal must be very slim somewhere could you not break him mrs north and her attorney in the issue of london punch of september twenty fourth eighteen sixty four president lincoln is pictured as sitting at a table in his law office while in a chair to his right is a client mrs north the latter is a fine client for any attorney to have on his list being wealthy and liberal but as the lady is giving her counsel who has represented her in a legal way for four years notice that she proposes to put her legal business in the hands of another lawyer the dejected look upon the face of attorney lincoln is easily accounted for punch puts these words in the lady's mouth mrs north you see mr lincoln we have failed utterly in our course of action i want peace and so if you cannot effect an amicable arrangement i must put the case into other hands in this cartoon punch merely reflected the idea or sentiment current in england in eighteen sixty four that the north was much dissatisfied with the war policy of president lincoln and would surely elect general mcclellan to succeed the westerner in the white house at the election mcclellan carried but one northern state new jersey where he was born president lincoln sweeping the country like a prairie fire punch had evidently been deceived by some bold bad man who wanted a little spending money and sold the prediction to the funny journal with a certificate of character attached written by possibly a member of the horse marines punch was very much disgusted to find that its credulity and faith in mankind had been so imposed upon especially when the election returns showed that the war is a failure candidate ran so slowly that lincoln passed him as easily as though the democratic nominee was tied to a post satisfaction to the soul in the faraway days when abe went to school in indiana they had exercises exhibitions and speaking meetings in the schoolhouse or the church and abe was the star his father was a democrat and at that time abe agreed with his parent he would frequently make political and other speeches to the boys and explain tangled questions boonville was the county seat of warwick county situated about fifteen miles from gentryville thither abe walked to be present at the sittings of the court and listened attentively to the trials and the speeches of the lawyers one of the trials was that of a murderer he was defended by mr john breckinridge and at the conclusion of his speech 
abe was so enthusiastic that he ventured to compliment him breckinridge looked at the shabby boy thanked him and passed on his way many years afterwards in eighteen sixty two breckinridge called on the president and he was told it was the best speech that i up to that time had ever heard if i could as i then thought make as good a speech as that my soul would be satisfied withdrew the colt mr alcott of elgin illinois tells of seeing mr lincoln coming away from church unusually early one sunday morning the sermon could not have been more than halfway through says mr alcott tad was slung across his left arm like a pair of saddlebags and mr lincoln was striding along with long deliberate steps toward his home on one of the street corners he encountered a group of his fellow townsmen mr lincoln anticipated the question which was about to be put by the group and taking his figure of speech from practices with which they were only too familiar said gentlemen i entered this colt but he kicked around so i had to withdraw him tad got his dollar no matter who was with the president or how intently absorbed his little son tad was always welcome he almost always accompanied his father once on the way to fortress monroe he became very troublesome the president was much engaged in conversation with the party who accompanied him and he at length said tad if you will be a good boy and not disturb me any more until we get to fortress monroe i will give you a dollar the hope of reward was effectual for a while in securing silence but boy-like tad soon forgot his promise and was as noisy as ever upon reaching their destination however he said very promptly father i want my dollar mr lincoln looked at him half reproachfully for an instant and then taking from his pocket-book a dollar note he said well my son at any rate i will keep my part of the bargain tells an editor about nasby henry j raymond the famous new york editor thus tells of mr lincoln's fondness for the nasby letters it has been well said by a profound critic of shakespeare and it occurs to me as very appropriate in this connection that the spirit which held the woe of lear and the tragedy of hamlet would have broken had it not also had the humour of the merry wives of windsor and the merriment of the midsummer night's dream this is as true of mr lincoln as it was of shakespeare the capacity to tell and enjoy a good anecdote no doubt prolonged his life the saturday evening before he left washington to go to the front just previous to the capture of richmond i was with him from seven o'clock till nearly twelve it had been one of his most trying days the pressure of office seekers was greater at this juncture than i ever knew it to be and he was almost worn out among the callers that evening was a party composed of two senators a representative an ex-lieutenant governor of a western state and several private citizens they had business of great importance involving the necessity of the president's examination of voluminous documents pushing everything aside he said to one of the party have you seen the nasby papers no i have not was the reply who is nasby there is a chap out in ohio returned the president who has been writing a series of letters in the newspapers over the signature of petroleum v nasby some one sent me a pamphlet collection of them the other day 
i'm going to write to petroleum to come down here and i intend to tell him if he will communicate his talent to me i will swap places with him thereupon he arose went to a drawer in his desk and taking out the letters sat down and read one to the company finding in their enjoyment of it the temporary excitement and relief which another man would have found in a glass of wine the instant he had ceased the book was thrown aside his countenance relapsed into its habitual serious expression and the business was entered upon with the utmost earnestness long and short of it on the occasion of a serenade the president was called for by the crowd assembled he appeared at a window with his wife who was somewhat below the medium height and made the following brief remarks here i am and here is mrs lincoln that's the long and short of it more pegs than holes some gentlemen were once finding fault with the president because certain generals were not given commands the fact is replied president lincoln i have got more pegs than i have holes to put them in webster couldn't have done more lincoln got even with the illinois central railroad company in eighteen fifty five in a most substantial way at the same time secured sweet revenge for an insult unwarranted in every way put upon him by one of the officials of that corporation lincoln and herndon defended the illinois central railroad in an action brought by mclean county illinois in august eighteen fifty three to recover taxes alleged to be due the county from the road the legislature had granted the road immunity from taxation and this was a case intended to test the constitutionality of the law the road sent a retainer fee of two hundred and fifty dollars in the lower court the case was decided in favor of the railroad an appeal to the supreme court followed was argued twice and finally decided in favor of the road this last decision was rendered some time in eighteen fifty five lincoln then went to chicago and presented the bill for legal services lincoln and herndon only asked for two thousand dollars more the official to whom he was referred after looking at the bill expressed great surprise why sir he exclaimed this is as much as daniel webster himself would have charged we cannot allow such a claim why not asked lincoln we could have hired first-class lawyers at that figure was the response we won the case didn't we queried lincoln certainly replied the official daniel webster then retorted lincoln in no amiable tone couldn't have done more and abe walked out of the official's office lincoln withdrew the bill and started for home on the way he stopped at bloomington where he met grant goodrich archibald williams norman b judd o h browning and other attorneys who on learning of his modest charge for the valuable service rendered the railroad induced him to increase the demand to five thousand dollars and bring suit for that sum this was done at once on the trial six lawyers certified that the bill was reasonable and judgment for that sum went by default the judgment was promptly paid and of course his partner herndon got your half billy without delay lincoln met clay when a member of congress lincoln went to lexington kentucky to hear henry clay speak the westerner a kentuckian by birth and destined to reach the great goal clay had so often sought wanted to meet the mill-boy of the slashes 
the address was a tame affair as was the personal greeting when lincoln made himself known clay was courteous but cold he may never have heard of the man then in his presence who was to secure without solicitation the prize which he for many years had unsuccessfully sought lincoln was disenchanted his ideal was shattered one reason why clay had not realized his ambition had become apparent clay was cool and dignified lincoln was cordial and hearty clay's hand was bloodless and frosty with no vigorous grip in it lincoln's was warm and its clasp was expressive of kindliness and sympathy reminded abe of a little joke president lincoln had a little joke at the expense of general george b mcclellan the democratic candidate for the presidency in opposition to the westerner in eighteen sixty four mcclellan was nominated by the democratic national convention which assembled at chicago but after he had been named and also during the campaign the military candidate was characteristic slow in coming to the front president lincoln had his eye upon every move made by general mcclellan during the campaign and when reference was made one day in his presence to the deliberation and caution of the new jerseyite mr lincoln remarked with a twinkle in his eye perhaps he is entrenching the cartoon we reproduce appeared in harper's weekly september seventeenth eighteen sixty four and shows general mcclellan with his little spade in hand being subjected to the scrutiny of the president the man who gave mcclellan when the latter was commander-in-chief of the union forces every opportunity in the world to distinguish himself there is a smile on the face of honest abe which shows conclusively that he does not regard his political opponent as likely to prove formidable in any way president lincoln sized up mcclellan in eighteen sixty one and two and knew to a fraction how much of a man he was and what he could do and how he went about doing it mcclellan was no politician while the president was the shrewdest of political diplomats his dignity saved him when washington had become an armed camp and full of soldiers president lincoln and his cabinet officers drove daily to one or another of these camps very often his outing for the day was attending some ceremony incident to camp life a military funeral a camp wedding a review a flag raising he did not often make speeches i have made a great many poor speeches he said one day in excusing himself and i now feel relieved that my dignity does not permit me to be a public speaker the man he was looking for judge kelly of pennsylvania who was one of the committee to advise lincoln of his nomination and who was himself a great many feet high had been eyeing lincoln's lofty form with a mixture of admiration and possibly jealousy this had not escaped lincoln and as he shook hands with the judge he inquired what is your height six feet three what is yours mr lincoln six feet four then said the judge pennsylvania bows to illinois my dear man for years my heart has been aching for a president that i could look up to and i've at last found him end of part nine everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.